Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Thursday morning, April the 14th, 2022. It is 7.02 on your Tucson Thursday, and you're listening here to Tucson's only local morning sports talk show, the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. Glad to be with you guys. <laughs> it's been it's been one hell of a ride. I mean, i I got to be honest with you. I think it's like... I had COVID the entire month of November last year, and it was it was bad. Like I got pneumonia. I was in the hospital. Like it was it was bad. Like it was it, it wasn't it wasn't great. And because of my medical history and things with pneumonia and my lungs and stuff, I kind of had a feeling it was going to go that way. I was not surprised. I was ready for it. We were all prepared for it. Just you know, and took care of it. I mean, you know, it got it got handled, and uh, you know, here I am and made it through. But since then, good lord. Like, just like a laundry list of things. I can't, I've lost my voice like three times since then. I can't seem to shake this, uh, what is apparently allergies that has completely aggravated everything in the top half of my body. Um, <laughs> and again, like, I, I the, you know, the, the issue that I have, unfortunately, like, I have felt good enough. I think people, you know, sending really nice messages. And I, look, I really, really appreciate it, you guys. I, I, I truly do, and I, I've tried to respond personally to every single one of them. The messages, emails, uh, you know, and there's been people emailing the radio station and calling the radio station and stuff. I appreciate you. Really, I do. Uh, I feel the love, and thank you. I've felt fine. Like, it's literally like I could do any other job on earth in the way that I was feeling, like where I was – you know, I was constantly blowing my nose, and I had all kinds of gunk in my face, and I was coughing, and I had, like, these coughing fits that would come on, like, sneezes, where you have to kind of, like, stop what you're doing for a moment. Like, every, like, the world stops while you're trying to decide whether you're going to sneeze or not. I had that, except it was a cough, which it, it's <laughs> it's way more annoying, honestly, than having that sneeze uh, coming up, by the way. And it may still happen during the show. It was happening before the show this morning, so we'll see. We'll see how far we get today. But um, the problem is I can literally do every other job on earth. I, at least I think I could in the condition that I was in. I felt good enough to, like, I could have uh, dug a trench, you know, as an electrician. Or uh, I could have gone and, you know, blue-collar work. I could have gone into an office place and worn a mask for people. Uh, you know, I could have done a litany of things, just about anything on earth except host a talk radio show where I'm tasked with talking by myself continuously for anywhere between 18 and 21 minutes at a time. I do not have a co-host that I can say, you know, I can give him the old hand signal like, it's your turn, I need you to cover for me, you know, like give him the little rolling signal through the air, be like, hey, uh, <laughs> I'm about to cough and sneeze and blow my nose here for the next two minutes, I need you to cover. I don't, I don't have anything like that. It's just me. There's no safety net here. It's just me. And to be honest, like you don't need to be hearing me coughing, sniffling, sneezing, uh, anything into the microphone. It's just it's just not good radio. Uh so so I've you know, I I went 
and did the show on Monday, and I felt good, but near the end of the show, I was almost unable to completely continue the show because I was, uh, like, everything was just pouring out of my face, and I was coughing, and, like, it was just bad. Like, and there's no way to do a radio show that way, unfortunately. So I can do everything except the job that I have, which sucks. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. Like, uh, you know, I- I'm... I've always been one of those people. I've just always been that person. I want to work. I've been working since I was 13 years old. I had a job when I was 13. My best friend, his dad had a business, and we couldn't work, like, inside the brick and mortar of his business, obviously, for, you know, labor reasons and stuff like that. But we would work in and around the warehouse, and we would I would do landscaping for him, and I was doing all kinds of stuff, like cleaning up and stuff. Like, I, I've just always been that person that wanted to work. I've always just worked that's been been my thing and not working for me sucks i hate it so like it's it's just frustrating i talk to my boss on a daily basis and i'm like i i'm so frustrated i can't believe this this is ridiculous but you know thankfully they understand they work in radio and they know so but here i am and i'm not here to talk about my sickness for the next two hours thank god that's the last thing you guys want to hear but it's just i think it's important that you know look I appreciate, like, I'm really not, like, I'm not terribly ill or anything. I just couldn't do my job. So here I am trying today. We'll see if we can get through it. I've dumped just about everything you can possibly imagine. And thank you to all the people uh, on Twitter and on the social medias who have given me their remedies for the the allergies that they've experienced. Look, I've lived in the state of Arizona my entire life. I'll be 46 in July. I've lived here my entire life. I was born in Tucson and have lived here in the Valley since I was five years old when we relocated here. And uh, off and on in Tucson as well. And I've never had allergies until like the last like 12 to 15 months. And it is, uh, it's not, I used to, you know, people would tell me all the time, like, oh, I got bad allergies. I'm like, oh, poor baby. No, 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 not anymore. I feel really bad for anyone I ever told that to in my entire life. Like, I feel like an ass because... It sucks, man. Like, I woke up Tuesday morning, my eyes are swollen shut, they're watering. I, I was like, this is insane because it's windy, and there's that yellow Palo Verde pollen all over the front of my, like, you open up my front door, and it's like, whew, like a big cloud of yellow dust. I'm like, oh, isn't this lovely? <laughs> like, you turn the air conditioning on in the car, and it's like, poof, it like just blasts you in the face. You're like, oh, great. More allergy. Awesome. So uh, we're going to try to get through it today. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, the Major League Baseball has gone now. It's, it's a week, you know, one week into Major League Baseball. Some interesting things happening throughout uh, Major League Baseball, including yesterday. We had an issue in Minnesota, or not Minnesota, yeah, Minnesota. Uh, it was Twins, where you know, the Dodgers were playing the Twins and Clayton Kershaw. Dave Roberts had to have a really uncomfortable conversation with him. And uh, according to Clayton Kershaw, he agreed with the decision to pull him from a perfect game. Seven innings in through a game, he was perfect through seven. 21 up, 21 down. Um, We'll talk about that. The NBA playoffs have begun. If you consider the play-in tournament playoffs, I don't. Um, Even though it is a win and in, lose and you're out kind of scenario situation, there's a double elimination for the sevens and eights and whatnot, um, and a double win scenario for the nine tens. So we we'll uh, we'll have a little preview of the nine uh, the well the, not the nine ten but the final seeding game the 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 team that's going to take the eight seed in each conference uh, we'll talk about that because those games are going to be played tomorrow 
And your number one seeds will find out who they're playing. The Miami Heat are going to find out who they play in the East, and your Phoenix Suns will find out who they're going to play on Easter Sunday here in the in the Western Conference. Uh, plenty of NBA basketball to discuss, as I mentioned. Um, NFL, we always talk NFL here every single day. That's my promise to you. We will talk NFL every day here on the Jeff Dean Show, and I do have quite a few things. Uh, Mel Kuyper, his newest, latest mock uh, mock draft 4.0 is out. He'll probably do. He'll probably get to like seven or eight point oh by the time this thing's all said and done. Um, before we get to the draft here in just a couple of weeks, looking forward to that. Always super, you know, engaged in the NFL draft. This year is no different. Also, uh, uh, Baker Mayfield made a an appearance on a podcast yesterday. That was. Uh, you know, if you if you know Baker Mayfield, it went pretty much uh, as expected. He was pretty much on brand, so we'll talk about that. And also locally there on campus at the uh, the University of Arizona, Benedict Matherin has declared for the NBA draft. And it was just you know it was a, it was a matter of time. There was I saw I I been reading Twitter all week, and I could see the fans out there, and they're like, Ben hasn't declared yet. Does that mean he's coming back? No, <laughs> Ben is not coming back. We knew it all along. You're a lottery pick. You do not, you do not forsake the lottery for staying in year and in college another year. Take the advice of Marcus Smart and don't come back when you're a lottery pick, because Marcus Smart would have been a top ten pick coming out of Oklahoma State had he left after his uh, sophomore season. He returned to his junior season and wasn't drafted until much later in the draft. Uh, lost a lot of guaranteed, lost millions in guaranteed money. And, uh, you know, ended up on a better team, which is good for him. And he's up for Defensive Player of the Year. will probably win it. Uh, it's You know, I don't think Mikel Bridges is as great as he has been defensively this year, just not getting the uh, the pub that he needs, typical of uh, a Phoenix Suns team that is disrespected across the country. But uh, win a championship and everything changes. So hopefully that the, uh, the, the, the Suns can do that. But, look, Benedict Matherin was not coming back to Arizona he doesn't need to come back to Arizona. He's done everything that he needs to do at the collegiate level outside of win a national championship, and those don't grow on trees. Like, not everybody gets a chance to win those things. Uh, coming back for a chance to win one, really, honestly, like, the only time that a player should ever consider returning to college to win a national championship is if they've already won one. Like, if you've just won, like, like you know, like the – uh, like the Florida Gators of the uh, you know of the early 2000s, you know that team with Al Horford and uh, Corey Brewer and you know those guys. Like when they won one and they just completely dominated the tournament their first year, they're like, we're all going to come back and we're all going to play for it again next year. And there uh, and behold, there they were. Uh, the North Carolina teams of around that same era, the Ohio State uh, team that tried to stay together to win uh, multiple national championships that never happened. Uh, you know, I mean, those are the, those are the times when you come back. If you're trying to win your first one, and especially in this day and age and the way college basketball is with the transfer portal being as, as crazy as it is with good players being sent all over the country. Like, here, and, and here's the thing, and I'm going to go on a little aside here. But, you know, this is something that we, we had talked about a couple of years, like two, three years ago when transfer portal was becoming a real, let's call it like it is. It's an epidemic. I mean, it is, it is a, a – a, real it's a problem i mean it's a it's a problem because it is so out of control it's chaotic you have really good high school players committing to mid-major schools guys who would normally be playing at your top conference schools 
but they're committing to mid-majors coming out of high school because all those roster spots are being taken up by transfer portal guys. They, there, there are a litany of coaches in some of the in the power conferences that want to bring in guys with experience. A guy who you know led his conference, led like led his conference in scoring and steals last year. But you know he played in you know the the you know the Midwest, the MWC, and now he's going to go out west to play in the Pac-12 and start for a team that's going to be a top three team uh, in the conference. Well. That was normally a spot for a four-star guard, you know, from Los Angeles. Instead, that four-star guard from Los Angeles is now going to go play at San Diego State or something, uh, and you know, make San Diego State this you know wrecking crew that they are. Whatever. This is you know this is the the state of college basketball, and it is much much more difficult to win a national championship now than it ever was before. The competition is way better than it was uh, even just you know six seven years ago let alone 15, 20 years ago. So uh, it makes it much, much more difficult, too. So the, the, the pipe dream of fans hoping that a lottery player comes back to help them win a championship is literally just dreaming with your fan goggles on. I mean, that's, that's really all it is. Uh, Benedict Matherin has earned the right to leave the University of Arizona, a decorated player in Wildcats history. He's going to be indu- – he'll be inducted into the McHale's center ring of honor he's got the accolades for it he won pac-12 player of the year he was a second team all-american this year but winning that pac-12 player of the year award automatically qualifies you for the ring of honor so benedict matherin i'm looking forward to the day we get to have him back and he'll be representing whatever you know nba team that day that uh, you know that that uh, is lucky enough to draft him and we'll have him back in the McHale center we'll do a uh, a nice presentation for him, and I look forward to seeing him back at the McHale Center the night that he gets to be inducted into the Ring of Honor. Until then, wish him all the best in his NBA workouts. He will get a lot of them. He's going to be looked at by all of the lottery teams. Um, I was actually talking to a friend last night whose son is uh, is going to be has just entered his name into the NBA draft, <clears throat> and uh, he's going to be playing in the San Antonio Spurs summer camp. That's for you know. That's a, it's for a lot of players who aren't going to be looked at at lottery. These are guys who are going to have to essentially show themselves to NBA scouts and and you know prove themselves against other uh, you know guys that are slated between like thirty and sixty four. Um, you know, in the you know, thirty or thirty and sixty rather in the in the NBA draft. So um, so you know, Benedict Mathen will not have to do that. He'll be doing pro workouts. Uh, and he'll be doing some things now. You know, Ben is right now. If you read all of the mocks, and I've been, you know, kind of thumbing through them for the last few weeks, you know, you always kind of do this time of year, like, what are the mocks looking like? Where, you know, where are our guys at? You know, what is, what is this guy? What is this guy? If you if you read all of the mocks, they, they've got him basically somewhere between the sixth overall pick and the twelfth overall pick. Uh, he's he, there's a potential for Benedict Matherin to play his way into a top five pick if he really just wows a team. Both, you know, on the court and in the interview process, you know, at the, uh, you know, at the interview table, if he wows a team and they get lucky enough to get themselves a ping pong ball in the top five, then there's a chance that Benedict could go top five overall. He certainly got the chops for it. Like, I mean, I've I've been making the same NBA comp for him all season long. He's like Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he's he's a he's a bigger, taller version of Donovan Mitchell. So kind of like 
you know, and, and watching, you know, watching the NBA, and I don't, I don't, you know, this player has always kind of, uh, I don't know, aggravated me, not aggravated me, but I've always been kind of disappointed. I felt like this player has always been better uh, potential-wise than he has played in the league, and I'm talking about <clears throat> DeMar DeRozan. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, having, you know, having, having, having himself a great season this year, uh, has largely been one of the more inconsistent shooters in the NBA since he got there. I mean, he just he doesn't have a three-point shot. He's, uh, what is he, a career 26%, I think, 27% three-point shooter. Just hasn't been good. This year he has found himself and is averaging 25 a game, shooting mid-range jumpers, attacking the rim, and getting to the free-throw line. So, you know, when you and when you look at, at DeRozan, he's built a lot like Ben. Like Ben's built a lot like, like DeRozan. So my NBA comp comp for, for Benedict Matherin is he's Donovan Mitchell in DeMar DeRozan's body. He's got the explosiveness and the streakiness from the three point line of the Spida, but he still has you know, he's built like DeRozan. He's got those he's got those great legs, I mean, those you know, big strong legs that, you know, never kind of fail him. Uh, just like DeRozan does, and he's got a similar ability to own the mid-range jumper. Um, you know, Ben is really, really good at the mid-range jumper. He can score. He can, you know, pull up and pop uh, those those mid-range jumpers from you know 15, 16, 17, 18 feet away, and that's an art form in the NBA that's starting to make a little bit of return with the onus, you know, over the last decade or so on looking for three-point shooters. The mid-range jumper is starting to make a little bit of a comeback because there are really, really athletic players that will get playing time because either you know a they're they're you know they're they're long, they're fast, they're athletic, they can jump and they can play defense, but maybe they're not a great three-point shooter. So shoot the mid-range jumper, and those guys are starting to rise to the top a little bit now. Guys like DeRozan, and I think that's kind of where Benedict Matherin fits in. I think he's really kind of a comp between those two players, between Mitchell and DeRozan. And look, those are two comps. Uh, like th- that's that's you know being awfully praiseworthy uh, of a of a of a player who's never even stepped foot on an NBA hardcourt before. You know, I mean, he could end up you know not realizing the potential of you know of that type of a comparison, and that would be a lofty comparison to uh, to achieve. I will say this, you know, for as good as Ben is in certain areas, look now that he's he's gone. Okay, he he's declared for the NBA draft. Now I can now I can say you know negative things about him. <laughs> you know, because you don't like to say negative things about collegiate athletes. And look, you know, especially like during the season and stuff like that. I'm not I'm not trying to clown on anybody during the season, pick on their game or whatever. He gone now, so I can say the things that he needs to work on. He has two weaknesses in my opinion, and neither of them involve the ball being in his hands. So that's the good thing. Like, if he had a weakness, you know, like some kind of a weakness where the ball, like, and again, his handles could improve. Every kid who's 19 years old probably could improve their handles unless your name is Kyrie Irving. Everybody can improve their handles, and he will. It just It's one of those things that just comes with time, experience. That the, the, you know, the, the longer you have the ball in your hand, the more years you spend doing it, the better you're going to be at it. If he had weaknesses with the ball in his hands, I think there would be a more glaring issue. He wouldn't be rated as high as he is right now. In my opinion, he has two weaknesses. Neither of them involve the ball being in his hands. Number one being his off-the-ball defense. He tends to ball watch at times and not watch his own man and has gotten into trouble and had to kind of 
make up ground using his athleticism and such. Now, I do think part of it, and I will give I will give him some credit because I don't know the scheme. You know, I'm not I don't sit in the in the meeting rooms with the coaches and with the players understanding the scheme. Uh, you have a great rim protector like Christian Coloco. You can kind of afford to let your guy try to go to attack the rim a little bit. Like you know, we've got we've got Coloco controlling the paint there, and you know, if, if he gets by you, Christian will bail you out, and Christian did on many occasions this year. Uh, that Ben's off-ball defense wasn't great, but he does have ex- incredible athleticism and has the inherent length uh, that you need to be a really good defender. And I think if he gets into the right system with the right coaches and he has the right motivational players, leaders around him, I think Ben could develop into one of the better NBA defensive players, certainly at, like, at that position. The other thing is he's really inconsistent on closeouts on shooters. Like his closeouts leave a lot to be desired. He will sometimes be a little bit slow to get over and close out. Sometimes he will be a little overzealous and overrun the closeout. Sometimes he will go leaping into the air trying to block the shot for no reason. Uh, And there are other times where he will make a proper closeout, get into a proper position, and then stick his hand up and hit him on the elbow or the hand or something like that and the wrist and create a foul. I I think there were... I mean, I, there were no fewer than six times he fouled a three-point shooter this year in the act of shooting. You can't do that. So those are the two areas where Ben needs to improve his game. And, again, these are very, very simple fixes once he gets to the NBA. These are things that, when, like I said, if he gets the right coaching staff and he gets the right leaders around him, the veteran players, that you know won't take that BS. <laughs> you, know, you, can't, you can't play like that on an NBA hardcourt if you want to get considerable minutes. And uh, he will learn that. He will learn that or he won't play. And I don't see Benedict Matherin not playing. So those are very, very easily taught issues with his game. Other than that, I mean, you're going to, you know, an NBA team's going to get a 38%, 37 to 38% three point shooter, which is phenomenal. You're going to get a guy who shoots 75 to 80% of the free throw line and probably will improve uh, the, you know, the more time that he plays. You get a guy that can attack and hang around the rim. He's not a he's not a shot blocker on defense, but on offense, he's a guy that can attack the rim. I would like to see him do it a little bit more. And if if he does have any kind of a weakness, in my opinion, any kind of a weakness in his offensive game, it's that he doesn't like he, he shies away from traffic. Like Ben doesn't like to mix it up where you know where the trees are. He doesn't get in there a whole lot. He doesn't mix it up where there's traffic. He prefers to move around in space and maneuver and take open jump shots, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He's not going to be like Dwayne Wade, you know, where he just like, okay, there's three guys in the paint. I'm going to go attack all three of them and see which one of them fouls me. Like that's not Ben, <laughs> okay, and that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, he does shy away from from traffic a little bit at times, and I think in the NBA, you get a little a little juice in you. And I think you know, and, and when I say juice, I don't mean like illegal kind of juice. I mean you get that NBA juice, like the the praise of the fan, and twenty thousand people screaming, people wearing your jersey. Uh, you may change your game up just a little bit. He may go in attack mode. And if he does, and we get results like what we saw in that dunk against TCU in the tournament, and yeah, then you got you got Donovan Mitchell highlights written all over the place. So. Yeah, so that's what I think about Ben. Um, I, I think that any team would be lucky to have his services. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal offensive player 
and I think will develop into a very, very good defensive player. He's just too athletic uh, and loves the game too much to not. So um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing his progress, and, of course, we'll be covering that all the way up until the NBA draft coming up in the summer. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, Adia Barnes and the women's basketball team loses two more players to the transfer portal, seven in total this offseason. Good thing or bad thing? That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back. Talking some uh, on-campus sports as we keep things live and local here every single morning, at least when I'm not packing and coughing up a lung. Right here on the Jeff Dean Show. And uh, we talked Arizona basketball, Benedict Matherin. We're still waiting to find out if Christian Coloco and or Dalen Terry will be declaring for the NBA draft. Christian Coloco right now projected to be a first-rounder, um, you know, a late first-rounder. But, hey, that's still, you know, that's guaranteed money. Guaranteed money for the first couple, three years. So, um, yeah. I mean, we, 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 Arizona could be – look, there's always a surprise. There's always – this is not the first time that Arizona basketball has had success. There's always a surprise. We know there's a, there's always that Grant Jarrett sitting out there waiting. And people are like, wait, why? What? He declared? Who? Why? Yeah, happens all the time. Or transfer, like we've seen before. Uh, one program that has been wrought with the transfers this offseason is a Dia Barnes team – the, uh, the Arizona women's basketball team. Now, earlier uh, in the in the offseason, shortly after they were ousted from the NCAA tournament uh, by North Carolina, they lost five players to the transfer portal. They were all reserve players they lost to the transfer portal. Uh, you know, players like Koi Love and Nettie Vonley and, um, you know, others that, that transferred away. Five, you know, in all. Well... Yesterday, we found out that Arizona was losing two more to the transfer portal. When uh, and now and look, now we you know we've got we've got starters essentially that are now leaving. Uh, ben Duyani, who was a starter on the team the last two years, she has decided to um, to enter the transfer portal. As has Samaji Smith, um, who was a reserve and you know a, a a young reserve who was getting you know some minutes, but it, it's. You know, it, look, minutes are tough, and Adia Barnes even said so in her in her in, like she did a, a Zoom conference from her home, and she's like, you know, players nowadays they want to play. Like she even mentioned like Ari McDonald. She said Ari, she played thirty five minutes a game, but was upset that she wasn't playing forty. The players don't have the patience to try to work through things and get better. They only want to play. It's the it's the mentality that players have, both men's and women's, uh, you know, alike. That's the that's the mentality that they have. They don't. <laughs> the work ethic has gone out the window. They just want to play, and it's difficult. So when these, you know, it's difficult to get. You can't give them all minutes. They, there's only five players on a court at you know at one time for a team. So they can't all play at once. It's difficult to to dole out the minutes. And let's be honest. If you're not as good as the person in front of you, you're not going to play. I'm sorry. And if you don't work hard enough, you're not going to play. Not to say that any of these 
any of these ladies did or did not, that's I don't I don't know. Fact of the matter is they weren't getting their minutes. I think uh, I think it's been proven that Adia Barnes knows how to put together a roster, knows how to put together you know knows how to to field a team or you know get a team on the court for game day, and for whatever reason those those players weren't playing. So she's got five players right now uh, going into the season. She's got uh, she's got Kate Reese, of course you know they're obviously their best player. She's returning. Lauren Ware, Shayna Pellington, okay. All three really, really good players. Helena Playo, who's a you know a sniper from the outside, as is Madison Connor. Um, she was a, fr- a true freshman this year and got herself a lot of playing time because she's got a wicked three point stroke. So uh, I'm rooting for Maddie. Like she's she's a good player. Like uh, you know I like watching her shoot the ball. Um, she's real good and she's earned her spot and earned her minutes and uh, she's worked at it. I you know I'm real good friends with someone whose daughter played with her in high school up here. And uh, they just you know, they just think the world of her and know that she's a, she's a hard-working kid. So it wasn't all bad news, unfor- you know, fortunately for the, for the women's basketball team, though, uh, because yesterday, finally, Arizona got to complete their, uh, their recruiting process and finally signed the New Yorker, Paris Clark, the five-star recruit and the fourth member of, of the 2022 women's basketball signing class. She signed to play uh, as quickly as she could on Wednesday morning, as quickly as it was available to her. So the four incoming freshmen, Maya Naji, who is the uh, the highest-rated player in the class. We're familiar with the last name. I don't know if she plays piano, but it'd be awesome if she did. Kaylin Gilbert, uh, Lamaya Hilton, and then now finally Paris Clark, another five-star recruit for Adia Barnes uh, and the incoming uh, the incoming class. So that leaves her total with nine players, which gives her now the option to go out and find three or four players in the transfer portal. I'm sure she'll be working really, really hard at that to try to round out the roster. So, um, so Arizona's lost seven to the transfer portal this offseason, but a big incoming class. And look, I think Adia Barnes, I mean, she even said so after the, the tournament was over in her you know, exit interview or whatever, if you want to call it. She goes, things need to change. She didn't like the culture of the way that team was playing down the road in the second half of the season. Um, they got punched in the mouth kind of, you know, early on in the in the conference season and didn't punch back, or at least not all of them did, and she wasn't happy about that. So these changes, in her opinion, are good, and if they're good in her opinion, then they're good in my opinion. I'll, I'll follow Adia Barnes and – and uh, whatever her uh, experience and her intuition is telling her. So, um, so good luck to uh, Adia in the offseason, rounding out her roster for the 2022-23 season. We're looking forward to Arizona women's basketball, another great season out of them next year. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, Dave Roberts pulled Clayton Kershaw yesterday from a perfect game, the right move or the wrong move. We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, so sitting at home yesterday working on some stuff, get a text message from my buddy who's a sneaking Dodger fan and he's lucky he's my friend he, he continues to be my friend I don't I don't befriend uh Dodgers fans I really don't I just I can't do it like like there's just 
if you choose to be a Dodger fan, like you're choosing to not like, see eye to eye with me on things. Like it's just not going to happen. <laughs> so he texted me yesterday and he says, Dave Roberts is about to have a very uncomfortable conversation with Clayton Kershaw. And immediately I went to my app to look and I'm like, what, what's going on? And I look and see through six that Clayton Kershaw is not only throwing a no hitter, he's perfect. 12 strikeouts, no walks, no hits, and no errors by the Dodgers. No one had reached base. It was uh, 18 up and 18 down for Clayton Kershaw uh, against the Twins yesterday going to the seventh inning. I looked at his pitch count. His pitch count was only 69. I'm like, God. And, and I was looking at his, his uh, ball and strike count. I think he was at like 40 at the time. I think it was 45 strikes and 24 balls, which is <laughs> – that ratio is ridiculous. Like, this is one of the greatest pitching performances ever. You look at the numbers. It's it's sick. And he had 12 strikeouts. And uh, so I text him back, and I'm like, okay, well, what's his pitch count? Because obviously he knows. He's a, he's a baseball nerd. Uh, I said, what's his pitch count? He said 75. I said, okay. So he's six pitches away from the hard cap that he's been put on. This was his first appearance all season long. We know Clayton Kershaw has had multiple back surgeries throughout his career. And with the shortened offseason, it's been very difficult for starting pitchers this year to go deep into their uh, into their opening starts. So I said, I'm like, okay, well, push him to 85 and see what happens. Those extra 10 pitches, aren't they're not going to break his arm, okay? So he throws, I think he threw 11 pitches in the seventh, got one strikeout, got a ground ball, got a pop-up, and that was the end of seven. So... He's perfect. He was quickly perfect through seven, and he had thrown 80 pitches. At that point in time, Dave Roberts decided to then pull Clayton Kershaw from the game in a dominant performance where he faced 21 batters and perfectly laid them all down. Now, after the game, Clayton Kershaw said, those are selfish goals. We're trying to win games. That's really all we're here for. Now, the manager, Dave Roberts, had consulted with Clayton Kershaw um, and, you know, basically said, look, you know, went to him and said, you know, my preference would be one more inning with an 85-pitch limit. And Clayton Kershaw says, I would have loved to have stayed out there, but bigger things, man, bigger things. It was a cold day in Minnesota. It was 38 degrees out at Target Field, and he decided himself that he was not going to go back out there. And, you know, I'm going to have to take his word for it. I think I think Clayton Kershaw has gotten to that point in his career. He doesn't have to be the nice guy. He doesn't have to be the, uh, the deferential teammate or player to where he can say, you know, we're, we, you know, he's too young and he has to say, no, you know, I, uh, manager and I, you know, Skip and I talked about it and I agreed with him that, that I should be taken out of the game. If, you know, Clayton Kershaw didn't want to be taken out of the game. Clayton Kershaw has earned, and I think he would say to the media, "No, I disagreed with him, but that's the pitch count. That's what we're that's what we're dealing with. I'm going to have to go and try and get a perfect game some other time in my life." Clayton Kershaw doesn't even have a no hitter to his to his uh, uh, resume. He's thrown a one hitter, um, and he was an error, a Hanley Ramirez error away from a no hitter a few years ago, but. Uh, other than that, you know, he hasn't had, I mean, a perfect game. They don't, they don't have enough, what, 29 of them in the history of, of Major League Baseball? So, uh, man, it's so it's so difficult. I know that 
there was a lot of discussion on the social medias yesterday about it. I was talking with people about it yesterday. Uh, there was people texting me. They're like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'm like, my take on it was this. If it hadn't been for the lockout, okay, and pitchers and catchers were able to report on February 13th, just like just like always, you know, this year right around Valentine's Day, that's always when pitchers and catchers report to spring. Had they been able to do that, had there not been a lockout and they've been able to report on time, this would not have been an issue. Clayton Kershaw would have probably been on a 100-pitch count maybe uh, just to preserve him, you know, coming off of back surgery and his first start, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it would have extended. He would have, he would have had an opportunity to really push that thing to a perfect game. But because of the fact that pitchers and catchers were not able to report and everybody kind of got slammed into spring training and was like, okay, you got 13 days, let's go, and then we're off and running to the regular season, it just wasn't conducive for an early season type of game like that. I mean, you're not going to see – even complete games out of pitchers right now, let alone, you know, guys going really deep into their pitch counts. And, you know, if, if they, you know, they get into any kind of trouble or whatever. I know, like, Madison Bumgarner was pitching great for the Diamondbacks the other day, but he had a 40-pitch inning, and that was it. They're like, okay, you're done after three and a third. You know, you got you got one out in the in the fourth inning, and then they're like, okay, you're out because you've reached your 75 pitches. That's, that's it. Sorry, you had trouble in the third. You threw 40 pitches. You burned them all. Sorry, man. And, you know, you got to pull him, even though he was pitching extremely well. He got out of his jam in the third, and, you know, like, like Bumgarner does his entire career. So I don't disagree necessarily with with pulling him from the game. It's just really unfortunate. I mean, regardless, as if, if he even though the, he is a stinking Dodger, and he has been his entire career, and I can't stand Clayton Kershaw for it. Nothing personal against the guy. Sorry. Look, one of my best friends in baseball. Daniel Hudson pitches for the Dodgers. I tell his wife all the time, I'm like, please, just get him, talk some sense into him, please. Get him to sign somewhere else. I hate rooting for him. <laughs> get the notice that he's out there, and I'm like, all right, just get your three strikeouts and go. Like, just be just be done with it, okay? I, I, I you know, it's it's one of those things, like, even though I don't want him to get the perfect game. I want them to happen. I, you know, it's not like, I guess, Clayton Kershaw. He didn't do anything bad to me. He didn't kick my dog or anything like that. It's he just wears the wrong colors. That's all. And I would have liked to have seen a perfect game. It's always new, you know, newsworthy when you see something like that. And you you like to see perfection. I mean, it's look. I've been, I've been in a baseball stadium for several perfect game bids. I've been there before. I was there when Dave Dravecki had one as a San Francisco Giant against the San Diego Padres, obviously before his horrific uh, career-ending injury. Uh, I was there. It was in San Diego. I was there for that. He was perfect through seven. Gave up a hit in the eighth inning. I was at Jason Schmidt's perfect game. He was uh, perfect through six and a third, I believe, against the Diamondbacks in a game that he gave up a one. It was a one-hit shutout, complete game shutout that he had. Um, I have been Madison Bumgarner was perfect through six. I think, I think it was through six in a game in San Francisco against the Diamondbacks when Jake Lamb got some kind of bloop, dumpy bloop, blump type of base hit that broke it up in the seventh inning. I was like, Oh God, (laughs) give me a break, man. 
Uh, but that's the breaks. Those are the things that happen. You, you know, a perfect game doesn't happen very often, man. And uh, I, 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 I respect Clayton Kershaw for coming out and saying, "Look, we've got bigger things to you know to worry about." But uh, let's be honest here: was your arm going to fall off if you went out there for another inning? Have you ever seen For Love of the Game, the 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 the, the movie with Kevin Costner, Kelly Preston? I love the movie. In fact, I got to be at a special advanced screening of that movie in 1998 um, where Kevin Costner was actually at this, this screening and they wanted to show it to, they wanted to show, they, they took a bunch of people from sports and they took a bunch of like family people and they put them all in the theater and they said, we want you to watch this movie and tell us what you think. First of all, it was like two hours and 40 minutes long. It was crazy long because it hadn't been edited. Uh, like all the stuff hadn't been edited out. So it was the entire film. And I was like, okay, it's really good, but you kind of, you know, the message kind of gets lost in certain things, and they want you to give feedback and stuff like that. And Kevin Costner was there, like it was really cool. Anyway, the actual movie came out. And I'm like, wow, they took out all the stuff, like they took out all the cursing, they took out the sex, like they took out all the stuff, and they made it like a real family film. And I thought that was great, and I loved that movie. Critics hated it. I don't care. Uh, I love the movie. In that movie, Kevin Costner's character is a 40-year-old struggling pitcher who had a horrific hand injury. He had ran through like a buzzsaw uh, when he was working at his, at his cabin or whatever. And he's throwing a perfect game. And he has to kind of like grit through it and whatever. Like it's just defeating the odds just to go for that one time, that one moment in your life that you may never get back. And Clayton Kershaw, as good as he is, has never even thrown a no-hitter, let alone... This is not a 22-year-old pitcher with his entire career in front of him with an opportunity to throw multiple more perfect games or no-hitters. He may never get this opportunity again. That's what I feel bad for. Like, I feel bad for a player, an individual, a human being who had an opportunity, who was perfect for a moment, could have possibly taken that chance to capitalize on it and decided to back out. I respect it. But it sucks, all in the same vein. <laughs> all right, so that's my thoughts on uh, on the uh, the perfect game being pulled yesterday. We'll see what happens. See who's our pitcher that gets our first no hitter this year. Could be uh, could be interesting. It's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, more after this. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Lots of voting going on by the uh, NBA writers and such on who's going to be the MVP, the Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year. Obviously, I I think think we're all pretty sure who the Rookie of the Year is going to be. I don't think many people will vote anything other than Scotty Barnes has had a really good season for Toronto um, and he's he's been a difference maker for them but Evan Mobley is is the best rookie in the league without question Uh, and like I said Scotty Barnes has has been good and you know he's going to make a difference for them in the playoffs and I'll even talk about that because I think I think Philadelphia is in trouble I'll be honest I think the Sixers are in trouble in their first round matchup against the Toronto Raptors they are long they are physical they're well coached I I don't know if Philadelphia is ready for that. They're they're a two man gang, and James Harden has never been good in the postseason. So I don't know, and they don't play a whole lot of defense there in Philly. 
I think I think Philly's in trouble. That was a bad matchup for them. They didn't they didn't want Toronto. Toronto's a they're a long team. Like they're lengthy, they're big, they 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 you know really pack that front line. Like they're they're not easy to get through if you're if you're Philadelphia the way that Philadelphia plays. That could be trouble. We'll talk about that coming up um, as we get ready to start the playoffs here. We'll know more on Friday, obviously, what all the matchups are. We'll have everything laid out. We're just waiting on to see what happens in the final two games of the play-in tournament. They're going to be played tomorrow night to determine who the one seeds are going to host and oust. It could be the Los Angeles Clippers who are in that game in the Western Conference. I know that I, there's several Suns fans and there's media members like, Suns don't want to play the Clippers. I bring them on. I am totally fine with the Phoenix Suns hosting the Los Angeles Clippers in the first round of the NBA playoffs. That's a gentleman's sweep, in my opinion. I don't, I don't get it. People saying that the Clippers are all this and they're a sleeper, this and that. I don't, I don't see it. Don't see it. Monty Williams, by the way, will most likely be the unanimous winner of the Coach of the Year award. Should be too. All right. Hour one in the books. Hour number two on its way. We got some NFL to talk. We got some more NBA to discuss as well, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned. Just a quick little two minute turnaround to hour number two of the Jeff Dean Show right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. From the Casino del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson.